Welcome to another episode of the Basketball Podcast here at the Basketball Podcast Network. Jeremy Brenner here, and we are here with part two of Jazz Week, celebrating the Jazz being at the top of the NBA standings, or at least close to the top. When we're recording this, uh, the Jazz are right now number one in the NBA. So exciting times for Jazz fans. Uh, and we're going to talk more about the Darren Williams era. And yesterday's episode highlighted a lot of the uh, best moments of the Darren Williams era. And this episode, more of the not-so-best times. But I have brought on McCade Pearson to continue this discussion. The guy that says, I know this better than anyone I know. And so, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, hey, hey, you you brought the knowledge yesterday. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, episode 7, go check that out first. And then come back to listen to this one. But McCade, how are you doing today? And happy to have you back on. Yeah, we're doing really good. Um, I think yesterday we wrapped up with the peak of where the Jazz were at. And that was yeah. tying it up game four in 2008 in an overtime win. Um, that series ended not so pretty. Uh, the Jazz actually kept with the Lakers on the road in L.A. in game five. They were tight after three quarters and had a close loss. And then game six, they looked terrible. They fell behind. Uh, they found themselves down by nine with 63 seconds left. And you're thinking the season's over. And all of a sudden, hit j- the Jazz hit back-to-back-to-back threes to cut it to two. And we go from nine to two in like 50 seconds. We're like, oh, my gosh, do we have a chance? But Mehmet Okur, well, Derek Fisher splits two free throws. Crowd goes bonkers because Derek Fisher just choked to give us a chance. But Memo and Darren both missed game-tying threes in the last five seconds to end that series. And that was it for 08. And as you mentioned, after that 08 series, it just kind of goes downhill until the end. Yeah, so in 2008, that was, I believe, the last year this Jazz team would win a playoff series. Uh, we got one in 2010. Or 2010, okay. So this was their best chance probably to make a deep run. Yes, the 2010 team got really ugly, um, a lot of injuries. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, this was it. This it, We didn't know it at the time, but this is – you could say this is the very, very beginning of the end. But it was definitely the peak was that game four win, and then you lose the next two, and then it's off to wherever yeah. we end up. <laughs> so what changes after 2008? What does the team try to do to improve the roster, or are they simply just trying to run it back? They basically just run it back with some draft picks um, that didn't work out. The drafting was terrible after. So you get Darren Williams, and then you get Paul Millsap at a great value in the mid to late second round, I think pick 47. Um, and then it just got awful. So 09, Carlos Boozer only plays 37 games because of injuries. Uh, the Jazz just never, they were young, so they never learned how to win on the road. So they'd go 35 and 6, 33 and 8, something like that at home. And then they'd go 18 and 23 on the road. Yeah. Um, so that in 09, with that and the Carlos Boozer injury, they only win 48 games. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, that era, you needed to win 48 games just to make the playoffs. So there's the eight seed going up against the Lakers, um, who are hungry to win a title after losing to the Celtics. And they just take us out in five. That series wasn't even close. Um, and then as we'll talk about 2010, the Lakers beat us in four, although that series is actually pretty close for a four-game sweep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so 09 is just a fluky injury year where we never get up on our feet. And then... Um, that was 08 to 09. Then 09 to 10 was kind of like, okay, maybe we have a chance to make one more push before a contract situation's changed. Darren Williams signs his massive extension. The Andre Carolinko awful contract goes a lot lower. So he resigns for a lot more healthy number. Boozer's going to be a free agent. So we're a little worried he's going to leave. Um, and so kind of going into that 09 10 season, we knew we needed a big season if we were going to keep everything taped together as everything was about to change. One of my favorite underrated moments as a basketball fan 
comes with this 2009-10 team. Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I probably will, but no. Okay, so this this is what really got me interested in the the D League at the time. Now the G League. When Are you going Central- for Morris Allman? No, but Morris Almond is a Houston native, so I, I knew him oh. from that. But when Sundiata games, yes, it's that was that buzzer beater against oh. LeBron and the Cavs to win at home, and I was just like, oh, like oh, expletive, like yeah, this, <laughs> this dude like came out of nowhere. He came on the plane from oh. middle of Idaho, and I was, was like, just- I gotta learn more about this G League stuff. Yeah, was it his first game played? He'd only been on the team for three or four days. There's only a 10-day contract. Uh, Darren Williams twisted his ankle in the fourth quarter of that game, which is why Sunday out games was in the whole fourth quarter. And yeah, that was a super, super, super fun play. The three right over LeBron and the Cavaliers. Um, kind of, that's I believe that game started the streak of LeBron not being able to win in Utah, uh, where that game for nine straight years, the Jazz would beat LeBron when he came to town. It would always be on a Gordon Hayward buzzer beater or a crazy block, or it was just a really, really weird stretch where we beat LeBron at home nine straight years, all on super fluky stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, Sunday out of gains. I was going to mention that he was on this team and forever holds a place. And like, he's, if you like put an all time jazz team together, like who are the best 15 players of all time? Every single jazz fan puts Sunday out of gains as the 15th man. Cause he's the perfect 15th man. Right. Fair enough. So yeah, Sunday out of gains moment. That was awesome. Uh, that, that was, was yeah. his fifth career game. It was, we it just celebrated a birthday. Uh, it's turned 11 years old. Yes, it did. It was a fun, fun time. I remember running around my room. I couldn't remember why I wasn't at the game. Uh, funny story about the game. My parents were at that game. Um, the Jazz were down. Kyle Korver hit a shot up and over the basket with like five seconds to go. Like It was a complete comeback game. And it was my parents' anniversary. So, yep, you're right, January 14th. And they're sitting there going crazy, cheering uh, with like, tw- I think it was like six seconds to go right before the last play and the lady in front of him turned around and said, can you guys please keep it quiet? I'm trying to read. And one of the <laughs> strangest, one of the strangest interactions I've ever heard of anyone at any basketball game, but here this lady was sitting on, I think the third row trying to read with six seconds to go before Sunday out of games, three pointer. So I mean, there's a fun little story for you on that. Game. You would think like the jazz arena Delta Center, Energy Solutions, Vivint, All is known to be one of the loudest places in the NBA. Oh, yeah. And this person's trying to make it into a library. He, I guess her husband was just a big jazz fan and convinced her to go to one game. I don't know the exact details, but uh, she wanted to read, so good for her. But, yes, uh, Vivint is a very, very loud arena. It's very vertical. Like, mm-hmm. every row goes up, like I swear, like two, three feet. So, it's a very loud right on top of you. The front row is six inches from the court. Very loud, fun arena. So there's your Sunday out of game story. Um, and that did kind of kick off the second half of the season to lead us into what we're hoping to be a big playoff run. We got Wesley Matthews that season as an undrafted free agent, and he ended up starting for us most of the year. So that was a nice addition. But there were some moves throughout that season that really signaled the end of the era was coming yeah you know i mean now that we've mentioned it the jazz and they've continued this too the jazz have had a really good you know they, they've had they've been really good at discovering talent they are uh you give them the 27th pick or a second round pick and they can usually find something with it just don't give them a top 20 pick because they're one of the worst leagues in that which oh, we'll get into here in a second of I mean, they got <laughs> we did get daryl Williams. um but yeah you can get into the I mean, let's just jump into it right now a little bit before we talk about the 2010 playoffs. So in 27, they take Morris Almond right before Aaron Brooks and Aaron Aflalo. That sucks. 
In 08, they take Costa Kufis. The, pick, the next three picks are Serge Ibaka, Nicholas Batum, and George Hill. We really could use one more big against those Laker teams. Serge Ibaka would have been fantastic instead of Costa Kufis. Um, who, you know, Costa Kufis came off the bench for Greg Oden in college, didn't even start in college, let alone in the NBA. And then we took Eric Maynor as the fourth pick in a five-pick stretch that included Drew Holiday, Ty Lawson, Jeff Teague, Eric Maynor, and then Darren Collison. So four really good guards, and we end up with the one that didn't quite work out. So really those three first-round picks back-to-back-to-back years after the Darren Williams and Ronnie Brewer picks in 05 and 06 really was the start of the end is we just didn't have the talent coming up for when players left in free agency. Yeah, you know, that's something that we discussed on uh, two weeks ago with the Chris Paul trades. And that's something that small market teams don't have the luxury of. You know, the the small market teams basically have to hit on their drafts and they have to hit on every single one and get lucky almost. And with Utah, they got lucky and they hit on every single one of their, you know, whether it was free agent signings with Boozer and Okur and Kirilenko, they got, I mean, even if this era wasn't really his best years, they got a whole lot more out of Kirilenko as a undrafted, you know, yeah. a, or as a late a late draft pick. He was, yep. he was a second round pick, right? Uh, I think it was like twenty eight. I think second last twenty seven, twenty eight somewhere in there, right yeah. in the first oh. round. Off a random pick in the late nineties that we actually we traded for him in ninety six, took him in ninety nine. He didn't come over till a one. He didn't break out till a four. It was a huge process. Yeah. So, but but anyway, the Jazz were still able to develop that and. The, and you're starting to see that even today, you know, with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, two guys, and we'll go even further, Royce O'Neal, guys that, you know, aren't aren't the highest picks, but they get it, they find a way to make it work for them. And you're seeing it now um, with the Warriors a little bit that when you have these good draft years in a row, like the Warriors did when they got Stephen Clay and Draymond, mm-hmm. that you have to keep it up to an extent because that is still how you replenish talent. So all of a sudden the Warriors go four or five years without hitting on picks. It's kind of how the Spurs dynasty ended, if we're going to be honest. So you got to keep up on these picks. Not you don't need to draft an All Star at 23, 24, you know, but you need to draft a guy like a Darren Collison, like an Aaron Aflalo who can just help keep things pieced together enough that you have talent up and coming. You can survive injuries, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where the initially begin the beginning of the end happened. The other thing is in that 2010 season, we made two trades, one in December, one in February. So six months after drafting Eric Maynard, we trade him and Matt Harpering six and a half million dollar contract into Oklahoma city's cap space, just because we want to get under the luxury tax. And then in February, Ronnie Brewer's fourth year. So he's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, we trade him away to Memphis for a first round pick basically for nothing. So we make those two moves to get under the luxury tax. And from my perspective as a jazz fan, the second we start making moves to get out of the luxury tax is a sign that we're not, we're, we're moving backwards and not forward. Right. Cause you look at that 2010 team and you're trading a guy like Ronnie Brewer, like was Ronnie Brewer. I mean, they were able to get a first round pick out of him, but was he a, was he a dynamic part of that rotation that year? Yeah, he was our starter for all three. He didn't play his rookie year much, but he was our starter in 08, 09, the beginning part of 10. Um, really, really good defender. He's got a chicken. He broke his elbow growing up, so his jump shot was awful and looked horrible. But a really solid defender on a guy like Kobe. Um, it was just a really good player. But we signed Wesley Matthews, who was going to be our starter for the future, so we decided we can dump Ronnie Brewer's contract. And then, of course, uh, we get to the 2010 offseason, and we don't match Wesley Matthews' five-year, $34 million deal with Portland. So all of a sudden, you let you trade away Ronnie Brewer, you let Wesley Matthews walk after his rookie season, and you're just in 
you know, we, we can get into that. Second, I want to talk about the 2010 playoffs a little bit uh, before we really jump into the 2010 offseason. But it the financially fell out of control. Um, Larry Miller, our owner, died that summer in, tw- in 2009. Mm-hmm. And his son, <laughs> how do I say this? His son was not as good of an owner as he was. Um, so it just that, and that actually had a big part to do with the Jerry Sloan, Darren Williams thing. So really, you, that's kind of when all in. You miss on draft picks. Our awesome, awesome owner dies, and his son takes over and isn't quite as good. You make some luxury tax moves, and it just completely falls apart. Yeah. So let's talk about these 2010 playoffs before we start, you know, going into real into the real mess of it all. Yes. But the Jazz are yet again a number five seed, 53 and 29, only four games back of the Lakers, who were the number one team again, trying to repeat as champions, but. What was what was different about that 2010 team? Because that was the last um, mm. the last year, really, of the Darren Williams era, and you get a playoff victory against against the Nuggets. A Nuggets coming off a Western Conference Finals appearance here mm-hmm. before, um, but yeah, it just it didn't quite work. Andre Kurlinko was really banged up that playoffs. I mentioned the trades away a couple minutes ago, and so you just didn't quite know what to expect. We were like, okay, maybe we can pull out this series, but then the Lakers, who we've lost two, two years in a row, are sitting there in the second round. There wasn't a ton of hope, and then in the first quarter, Mehmet Okur tears his Achilles, and it ends his career. And he goes down in the first quarter of game one, uh, about a minute ago in the first quarter, and it just was heartbreaking that was the second we knew we were at least on the downhill we figured we might be able to have darren williams the next few years and can make the playoffs but when memo occurred towards achilles in game one that's kind of when it like ended um darren williams went berserk that series he had 33 14 on 14 shots in game two the jazz still game two uh krill Fasinko doesn't play 100 percent terribly for us that's a name that probably nobody knows nor should they because who cares about krill Fasinko? uh but the jazz defend their home court in games three, four, and six, and win the series four, two before getting swept by the Lakers. So super fun series to upset the nuggets in and defend home court. And Darren Williams went crazy. average like 23 and 12 on like 65 true shooting percentage like that. I'll have to pull up the exact numbers. It was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so fun player series to win, but it never felt like a playoff run, just a fun playoff series. Similar to the Donovan Mitchell, Oklahoma city thunder, uh, thunder series a couple years ago. So basically at this point, you, you don't have a core, and I mean, Kirill Fasenko is, you know, Kirill hey, Fasenko. <laughs> and, and at this point, but you're able to get past the Nuggets. Is there any solace in that, though? That even though you lose Okur early on the series, you're still able to get to the second round? Yeah, so you get Andre Kalinko back against the Lakers in the second round. That's fun. Um, and then you're excited. Wesley Matthews is playing out of his mind for an undrafted rookie, kind of like Lou Dort. He's really the only other person I can think to compare him to. And so you're like, you know what? Maybe we can steal a game or two against the Lakers. And if you can somehow make it 2-2, anything can happen, right? Like, let's just make it 2-2 and see what goes from there. And you game four, they got blown out in. But game three, I went back and watched probably three, four months ago, right before the season started. And it was such a fun game. Those Jazz, Darren Williams teams were so fun. There's a reason they were so good offensively. So there's just so much pick and roll, but backdoor cuts, good three-point shooting, although they didn't shoot a lot. They get to the line a ton. Just so, so, so fun to watch prime Kobe and prime Darren Williams go back and forth in the important playoff game. Kobe ends up taking over in the fourth quarter. Um, and then the Jazz are down two points, I believe, um, with about five seconds to go in game three. They miss a three-pointer. Wesley Matthews gets the offensive rebound, has an easy, easy layup to, I can't remember if it was to tie or win the game, and he just misses it. Yeah, like it a to win the game. 
it was to win the game, I believe. And that would have made it 2-1, and then all of a sudden you're talking, right? So Wesley Matthews misses that. It's 3-0. Game four doesn't go super well. Yeah. Um, and Wesley Matthews yeah. missing the tip kind of takes the air out of the balloon. Yes. for Not only for that season, though, but as I mentioned, so uh, Carlos Boozer's a free agent. Kyle Korver's a free agent. It all kind of just is not yeah. pretty. So 2010, the infamous offseason of infamous offseasons, that was the year where LeBron goes to Miami, Chris Bosh goes to Miami. A lot of big free agents are up there. Amari Stoudemire goes to New York. Dirk is a free also goes to Chicago to go play with Derrick Rose. So how much does losing Boozer affect this team and where it ends? Yeah, so it sucked losing Boozer. Um, we kind of saw it coming, kind of didn't. Like, it was... We, it was a lot more forthcoming than the uh, Gordon Hayward situation. Mm-hmm. We knew we were probably going to lose Boozer. And so that sucked. But they did a really good job of convincing Chicago. At the time, the financial rules were a little bit different in the NBA. But you make it a sign-in trade. You get your big trade exception. And then you use that to trade for Al Jefferson. And so it was a really good quick pivot of, okay, how can we use losing Boozer into a positive asset? And they get Al Jefferson from it. Paul Millsap um, has obviously been awesome for us last few years. He becomes a starter. We're all wondering, okay, is this a good starter? Is this a potential all-star? Like, how good is Paul Millsap? And, you know, we're feeling pretty good going into the season with Darren Williams, a cheaper Andre Karolinko, Paul Millsap, and Al Jefferson starting for a good front court. Raja Bell we re-sign after he played in Utah six, seven years ago. Him and Jerry Sloan have a really good relationship. We're thinking we're going to have to rebuild for the next two or three years, but at least we should be a playoff team as we kind of retool. Right, so... Instead, so you lose O'Core, you lose Boozer, you get quick fixes. Paul yep. Millsap is averages seventeen points a game this season. Which I mentioned, we lose Wesley Matthews to Portland because we don't match that offer sheet, right. which is a big mistake looking back, obviously. And Roger Bell is your primary starter at the two yes. guard spot for for that season. And the Jazz are for the first, at least the first part of twenty ten, uh, and I believe what rookie rookie Gordon Hayward. So yeah, for the first part of this season. You're looking pretty good. You're looking, you know, 30. What it was like. We woke, up, we woke up on Christmas at 21 and 9. Um, every year we go on a Christmas road trip from about December 10th to December 20th. And on that road trip that year, we went uh five and zero with five comebacks on double-digit deficits. Um, wow. early in November, we went on a road trip. You have the miracle in Miami where Paul Millsap, who's never hit a three in his entire career, hits three straight threes in Miami yeah. to beat the uh, very beginning of the Heatles and push that team to nine and eight. And all of a sudden we're like, Hey, Paul Millsap just scored 46. He's an all-star. Let's go. We're good. And so you're, you're 21 and nine on Christmas thinking, okay, we're fine. And then it got really ugly in about six weeks. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward six weeks later. Jerry Sloan comes out, coached the team for 20 plus years. And in the middle of a road trip says I'm done. Yeah, so the Jazz are going on an 0-5 road trip. They're falling like crazy. We're thinking it's just a really bad month, bad streak. And, yeah, they come back from a road trip, and they have a game against Carlos Boozer and Kyle Corbin and the Chicago Bulls. Um, and this is February 9th, so it's our first home game back from a road trip. And I I wish I remembered the details on this. Roger Bell's talked about this on his podcast a couple times because he was obviously there. Um, something along the lines of the Jazz are in the end of the first half are trying to run one more play before halftime. Sloan calls his play. Darren Williams flips the play, runs, I believe, the same play just on the other side of the court because Al Jefferson liked the ball on the other block or something like that. Um, but in short, Darren Williams changes the play a little bit. 
And it leads to a huge blow up in the locker room at halftime. And Jerry Sloan basically just looks at everyone at halftime and says, I'm out. I quit. I'm done. And everyone kind of thought he was kidding. And they come out and they lose in the second half. That was a fantastic Bulls team, obviously. And then we wake up the next morning. I'm sitting in school. And what do you know? A teacher goes, oh, my gosh, Jerry Sloan just resigned. And that, as I said, that was the not the start. That was kind of the middle of that point. There had been some friction between Jerry Sloan and the Jazz owner's son um, because he was just kind of doing things a little differently. And Larry H. Miller was so – I love, 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 love the players. But Jerry Sloan's my guy. We're an organization. The players aren't top tier. And the new owner was a little bit more friendly to the player side of perspective rather than the coaching side perspective. And that frustrated Jerry Sloan a lot. And he just woke up. He blew up at halftime. But that next morning he woke up and he's like, I'm done. I'm resigning. I'm old and tired. I've done this for 24 years. I'm done. And they had conversations. No, come on. Just finish out the year. No, come on. A couple more years. No, come on. Stay around. And Jerry Sloan just, he, he was done. Um, the Jazz would rehire him to do some behind the scenes work, some draft scouting, other little tiny projects a couple years later. But obviously, that was the end of the Jerry Sloan era. But what was bizarre about this is a few days earlier to this, he signed an extension. He did. He so, did sign an extension. That's the thing. He's, he, it's like Deshaun Watson. He signs an extension and then says, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I, because yeah, yeah, he did sign an extension, just another one year to go through the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd kind of done that for a while though, just kind of kept it short term. And yeah, it just got super heated. Obviously, there'd been bad blood boiling for a while between the superstar Darren Williams, who, you know, this is the player empowerment era that we just saw LeBron James leave this summer. Is Darren Williams going to stay? And so it obviously took a turn for the worst. And it, I don't think the words were ever said, but I think the feelings got down to it's Sloan or Darren. And the Jazz chose Darren, and then they regretted that decision, so then they chose nobody. Yeah, yeah they chose nobody. Which, so, uh, so, I guess, it's just, you never really see this anymore. You don't really see this ever. This wasn't like, a, a, I mean, and even with coaches, like, I can't remember the last time there was, like, something like this in the middle of a season. Especially with a guy like Jerry Sloan, because... Jerry Sloan been there 24 years. Imagine just going to a place for work for 24 years and then just saying, no, I'm yeah, done. And, and he lived in Utah the rest of his life. He actually lived down the street from me. Um, I delivered pizza to him. Oh, wow. I delivered pizza for a few months and delivered to him. I went to sc- um, school with his stepson. Like he was still in the community. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, is this the same pizza place as the one Michael Jordan ordered from? No, my buddy's a manager <laughs> at Papa John's. And during, right when COVID all started, they're like, hey, we need drivers. So I went and did it for like two months or three months. But, you know, like I went to school with his stepson. Like Jerry Sloan was still very, very much around as a Utah guy after that. But it was it was weird. Um, Phil Johnson was his assistant coach mm-hmm. for how long was he? Assistant coach? For 23 years. Like, and he was like, okay, if Jerry's done, I'm done. So not only did you lose Jerry Sloan, but you lost your lead assistant for the past 23 years. And we kind of liked Ty Corbin. He played on the Jazz. He was fine. We ended up hating him by the time he left three years later. But it was definitely a, okay, now what? It was a very, very big, this season's lost. We've lost like 15 out of 20 games. Now what? How do we fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple weeks later, we blew everyone's minds and traded Darren Williams pretty out of the blue. Yeah, so how where where were you when you found out Darren Williams was traded? So as I mentioned, Sloan resigns on the 10th, and Darren Williams gets traded on the 23rd. Um, again, I was just in class. The first time I heard it, I was walking from, I think, math class or whatever class to my gym class. 
And a good buddy of mine in that class found out and was like, you know, this is the time before everybody has phones and everybody has social media. Like the teachers have phones. Students are pretty 50-50 if they have phones in 2010 and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And so we find out, it's like, hey, the judges traded Darren Williams. We got Devin Harris and some other stuff back. And I was like, okay, I like Devin Harris. That's super surprising because it wasn't like strong trade rumors like the Carmelo trade was. It was pretty under the wraps. Um, and so I was just trying to process like literally what just happened in February. Like it was literally a three-week thing of everything fell apart we went from 21 and 9 to all of a sudden we finished the season below 500 um there was a huge issues with Raja bell and ty corbin right after this that the jazz ended up cutting Raja bell like literally half an hour after the deadline to cut somebody so they could play in the playoffs just to be not nice um so what i'll say so the whole organization just fell apart and it did feel like it was a couple of years removed of larry h miller dying that kind of umbrella over the whole thing of we lost our owner who was so, so, so good, kept the Jazz in Utah for 30 years, and now things are just really unshaky. There's no concrete below everything. Mm-hmm. So looking back, it's really interesting to look back at the Derek Favors, Darren Williams trade now, 10 years later. I mean, we're 10 years here in three, four weeks. So mm-hmm. 10 years later where we're at, but in the moment, it was the end of the world because it just all fell apart so fast. Yeah, and not nothing against De- Devin Harris. Uh, Devin Harris was an all-star at one, uh, not two years ago with the Nets. And so there was, so that was the reason why, I mean, if you look at it now, it's like Devin Harris and some picks for Darren Williams, who was, you know, one of the top, you know, five, six guards in the, in the league. You're looking at that and you're like, well, they got nothing, but ultimately, and that, that pick the the jazz got was ended up number three overall they got Derek favors or no it was Derek favors was the number three pick and then they got the three pick the next year in enos Cantor. Mm -hmm. um and then we got a 2013 first which we used to trade up and get trey burke so it ended up all right devin harris is really really good before mike conley this year Derek um devin harris was probably our best point guard since darren williams uh the jazz tried to piece it together that next year in the lockout year with devin harris paul Millsap. Um, Al Jefferson, Derek Favors, Enos Cantor, and they ended up making the playoffs. The lockout year, they got the eight seed and got swept by the Spurs. So with, Devin Harris was good in our one and a half years here, but he was never going to be around for the long-term rebuild. That was mostly to match salaries and make sure you had a starting point guard the rest of the year. Yeah, so, and ultimately, like, Darren Williams with the Nets, that was a weird time as well. I mean, yeah. you would think, because Darren Williams going to the Nets, um, that really start that started um, that continued a four year stretch in which he was an All Star, um, or no, it was a three year stretch. So he was a yeah. three time All Star. And then of course it gets into the um, Paul Pierce, Kim Garnett, Joe Johnson teams, and then they end up waving and stretching him. He just came off the books a couple months ago, right? So it was one of those trades. There's kind of three trades I look at in the last decade where I go, "Holy crap, that just was so not worth it for both teams." Um, and that's this one. I don't think really? it was necessarily worth it for the Jazz. Favors is awesome, and Jazz fans love Favors, and obviously he's back again, and he's fantastic, and he might get his jersey retired here depending on how the next few seasons go. But you, you didn't get fair value for Tanner Williams, but it didn't work out for the Nets either. The other ones I kind of throw out there are the Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas swap with Cleveland's um, – Yeah. And- that one that didn't really work out. <laughs> and then I think the Porzingis New York Dallas trades kind of been like, was that really worth it for both teams right now? With Porzingis his massive contract and the Knicks not really getting anything back. So, but I definitely look back at this trade and the jazz won the trade, but they didn't get anything of extreme value out of it. They missed on the canner pick. Um, they missed on the trading up for Trey Burke thing. So those two picks all of a sudden weren't that great. Uh, as you mentioned, Devin Harris was solid for a year and then left in free agency. So we did get the relationship with favors and the fan favorite in favors, but if we're stopping talking about it right now, Favors 
did not live up to being a number three overall pick. Yeah. And that there's I a balance in that. Because I would think, well, I mean, look, very few guys last as long as Derek Favors did with his team. And yeah. you know, granted, he's back, so you know, you don't see that a whole lot in the NBA. You definitely see a lot more movement. Uh, but De- Derek Favors was able to stay in Utah for you know what nine years. Yeah, he was there for nine years, uh, basically his whole first and second contract. Yeah. And then they trade him. He ended up signing a third contract, actually. And they trade him last year for a couple picks to make room for Boyan. And then he comes back this year on the mid-level. So really good stuff there. One sliding doors moment before we wrap up and kind of talk about the after effects. Mm-hmm. Bobby Marks, works VSPN, was in the Nets front office at the time and did a podcast a while ago. And he mentioned that the only reason they took DeMarcus Cousins over Derek Favors in that draft is because they thought Derek Favors would be more... Uh, ple- uh, I don't even know what the word is, more valuable to a team trading for him. They were worried about DeMarcus Cousins' personality. So a little interesting what could happen there is if the Nets take DeMarcus Cousins and then that's DeMarcus Cousins in that trade because they're not worried about his personality, do the Jazz piece something together with DeMarcus Cousins, Paul Millsap, Al Jefferson, and see if they can maybe go somewhere with DeMarcus Cousins. So that's a little disappointing, um, but Favors has been great. Every Jazz fan will tell you Favors is better than DeMarcus Cousins, um, lying through their teeth saying that, at least in their prime. So it, it's a weird thing to look back on. Um, but now that the dust has kind of settled for a decade now, it's really weird to look back on and see where all the parties are. Yeah, so this this era, it seemed like, has had a lot. It's had uh, shades of potential uh, shades of potential finals runs, uh, real talent there, real signs of hope and promise for a team that, honestly... I'm trying to, I guess, explain what I've learned. I feel like you're the teacher right now, McCade, and I'm, I'm uh, trying to demonstrate what I've learned over the last hour or so. But um, basically, it seems like the Jazz were all Stockton Malone, and they tried to build that as a uh, cornerstone, and they needed to move on from it. Yeah. And when they did, they struck gold with Darren Williams. Yep. And ultimately, it turned into fool's gold. Darren Williams was the player John Stockton was, at least for the most part. But what got us in trouble is trusting that in this day and age, that Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer were the people that John Stockton and Carmelone were. Mm -hmm. And off the court, Darren Williams was not the, I'm driving my minivan to the game with my five kids guy that John Stockton was. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, not that any of those guys are bad people or this or that, but they're just different personalities in different eras. And, not planning as well for the future, not hitting our draft picks really came back to bite us. What is nice, and I love to wrap up on this, is things have worked out for the most part. There's a lot of bad blood for Darren Williams uh, here in Utah for years and years and years. Uh, Darren Williams, this is probably two or three, four years ago now. He still has a house here. He lives up in Park City, goes skiing all the time, all that fun stuff. And he called up Jerry Sloan about three four years ago. You can Google, there's articles on this. And he said, hey, can I come over and can we talk? And he went over to Jerry Sloan's house um, right here in the south side of the valley where I'm from. And they sat down for three or four hours and talked about good old times and really talked things out and really finished on good terms. Um, Dan Williams came to his first jazz game about uh, last season, right before the pandemic started. Came to his first jazz game since he got traded and retired. Um, Jerry Sloan just passed away, obviously, a couple months ago. And it, it, it sucked in the moment and it sucked the years after. But 10 years later... People, as people, obviously not as basketball, but as people, everything's been talked out and is on good terms for the most part. Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. But thank you so much, McCade, uh, for this jazz talk. I can't wait to have you back on 
for more jazz talk. Uh, obviously, Stockton Malone we can talk about or anything. But actually, you know, we do have a little bit more time. So let's talk about the current day jazz. Right. Why? Why are this? Why is this Jazz team going to win the NBA title this year? <laughs> Don't ask me that. Jazz Twitter <laughs> thinks I'm super negative because I'm not 100 percent bought in on we're the best team of all time yet. No, but they just shoot threes. They're basically the 2018 Rockets with a little more interior defense with Rudy Gobert leading the way, obviously. But they're shooting 45 threes a game. They're shooting 40 percent. Everyone's going insane. Mike Conley went from holy crap, what did we do? Why did we trade for that? And I'm an Ohio State guy, by the way. I spent about six months at Ohio State, so I love Mike Conley, but he was not good last year, and obviously he's an all-star candidate this year, and so Donovan Mitchell hasn't been... Donovan Mitchell's improving, I'll say that. Um, and Rudy Gobert is just a top 10, top 15, top 20 player in the league, a perennial NBA player that really brings value. And they just clicked this year. The locker room issues from last year are gone, and I think that has a lot to do with why things are rolling so well. Now, are Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert closer to Boozer and Darren Williams or Stockton Malone? So actually, so over, I don't know what you guys did during the pandemic, but me and my podcast, we uh, did a lot of old school jazz stuff. Okay. We're going to rewatch this game. Okay. Who are the top 10 jazz players of all time? What's the best playoff series in all uh, jazz history? We did a lot of stuff like that. And so we did a top 10 jazz player of all time. And I'm still pretty low on Donovan Mitchell right now compared to a lot of jazz fans. He's an average efficiency guy. I kind of agree with Shaq's comments to an extent that he doesn't do a lot outside of scoring and is not a good defender. And so Donovan still has to grow and he still can, but Rudy Gobert is like the stud. Like Rudy Gobert is a top 10, top 15 player in this league. There's a reason he's been all NBA basically the last four years. He's won two defensive players of the years. We win when Rudy Gobert plays and we lose when he doesn't basically. So Rudy Gobert is that level of player. Um, Malone's obviously way off in his own tier, won two MVPs, but Rudy Gobert is as good as John Stockton was and as good as Darren Williams was. I put those three kind of in that second tier in jazz history. And then Donovan Mitchell can be in the third tier of Andre Kurlinkos and Adrian Dantley's, and we can get into that if you want another time. But Rudy Gobert is that good, and unless you watch him 82 nights a year, it's really, really hard to understand just how good he is. Yeah, honestly, like as as someone that only watches the Jazz so often, I was surprised by that answer. So um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye when I watch the Jazz more often to uh, check out Rudy Gobert. And I'm going to hopefully check out your podcast. So feel free to drop your podcast uh, to the listeners and uh, tell your listeners where they can find it. Yeah, so the podcast is Home Court Press. We do just a 15-minute recap of every game. So if your team plays the Jazz, hop on, listen to the 15, 20-minute recap of that. And then we do a weekly podcast um, every, usually Wednesdays, give or take, depending on how the schedule works out, just looking around the league and trying to figure out that stuff. So give it a listen, Home Court Press. Um, it's got a picture of my co-host with this giant beard on it. So shouldn't be too hard to find. Or you can just reach out to me on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Thank you so much, McKay. And be sure to subscribe to the Passable Podcast on your podcast app of choice uh, so that you don't miss a single episode. We throw our episodes out every Tuesday and Wednesday throughout uh, throughout the year. So go ahead, subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe now so that you don't miss a single episode. And make sure to follow uh, pa- the make sure to follow Passable on Twitter. Uh, that's P-A-S-T-K-E-T Ball. You can also follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter and Instagram at HoopsPodNet. And if you'd like to throw me a follow on Twitter, you can most certainly do so at Jeremy Brenner. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E-N-E-R. If you want to suggest or recommend a future uh, future podcast theme, 
feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear what you've got. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And until next time, rewind and be kind.